All right. Welcome to Invest in Your Future. I'm your host, Kenny, CEO of Corona Group Corporation. Uh, I want to thank you guys for coming back to another episode. Today, I'm gladly bringing a, a big, big wig, a big guy in the, in, uh, the industry, um, gentleman by name of Adam Adams from Blue Spruce, um, based in Colorado. Uh, this gentleman's a, a great, I think, to me, he's going to be a great mentor because I'm going to learn so much from him, but also my audience is going to learn so much from just his journey and um, to where he got to, you know, now where he's, he's doing some major moves all over the country, works with some great partners up in Colorado. Um, Adam, you want to introduce yourself? Welcome to the show. Yeah, well, first off, I really appreciate you for having me, so thank you so much. I, I really appreciate being on and uh, you taking the time to do this for your audience. Um, so, yeah, I am a real estate investor. But, I, it, you know, obviously I didn't start out that way. You know, sure. it, was a, it was a pretty rough and tough journey. But I believe, like, if you're really focused on doing what you want to do and you put your heart into it 100%, you can accomplish anything. And so I've been really blessed on uh, my journey, and I'm, I'm happy that I get the chance to speak about it with you and, and your audience. That, that's, that's great, Adam, because... That's one thing my audience is really needing in terms of um, because these are people who are who don't, you know, don't believe that there's possibility to move up. You know, they're, they're stuck maybe in a nine to five getting paid twelve dollars an hour. Um, but people who, you know, maybe want to do something for themselves. So I want to kind of start from the beginning in terms of where you started. Did you start like, you know, with a, you know, with some some like a middle class. Did you start in a poor class? How, how did you how's your beginning when you started, you know, um, before before anything before real estate? What were you doing? Sure. I grew up uh, fairly poor. Uh, my family, we did not own a car. Wow. We took the bus everywhere. Uh, my mom was a single mom. When you know, so we walked to school. We walked from the bus to um, you know to our daycare, and then our mom would pick us up uh, by walking, and then we'd get on the bus and, and ride home. So. And our house, I mean, I shared a bedroom with my sister, and my mom had her own room. So certainly uh, grew up not with everything that there ever was. And uh, my mom will tell you, there was one time mm. that she actually had to steal food so that we could eat. Um, we were on food stamps. She stole food one time. Wow. When she got the money, she actually went back to the store, bought the same items, and snuck them in <laughs> to to return them. Uh, so she, she so eventually when she started getting money, uh, she gave back because it didn't feel good in her heart. But she did need to allow us to eat, and food stamps were not working when she was working at a pet store and everything like that. So, wow. but me personally, when I grew up, I did see my parents. Uh, achieve a level of success over time mm -hmm. uh, my mom ended up getting uh, married uh, so I had a, I have a great stepdad mm -hmm. who is an entrepreneur and a real estate investor and my mom moved up the corporate ladder and eventually became a, pro, a, a computer programmer a project manager and I kind of watched this happen and my dad started telling me I've got to save money Mm -hmm. And I've got to, uh, you know, invest my money into real estate. And I, 
long time for me to understand what he was saying and the real wisdom behind it. Mm. I didn't really start learning that until I read a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad. At the time, I was a bartender, and I was making decent money uh, as a bartender, a few hundred bucks uh, per shift, you know, mm-hmm. and it was more than uh, than I would have made as being a teacher, which is the thing that I was going to college for. Mm. So I was a college student. I had a, a scholarship, or else I wouldn't have been able to go. Uh, for playing the tuba, I never, I never really tell anybody this, but I played the tuba and it paid my <laughs> that's college. That's very rare. I never rare. even finished college because I thought that I could make more money doing something else. So I didn't. I, I got an associate's, but I never finished my bachelor's degree. Hmm. So anyway, just kind of was bartending and ended up taking on, you know, this book that my dad told me I had to read and. For any of your audience or of the listeners who have never read a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad from Robert Kiyosaki, it literally changed the way I think about things. So you read this book and it, and it teaches you something called the cash flow quadrant, which, you know, it basically says, shows you uh, a visual picture that if you're working for somebody else, you're not going to make as much money. You're making them money. Mm-hmm. And so I started to try to find ways out of it. So my first step was, I said, I'm going to own a business and I am going to own property. So it was a struggle, but I'll tell you, how did I get my first business uh, and my first property? I said to myself, I'm going to have to know how to be a property manager. I'm going to be a landlord. So I, my first business I started was a property management company. Um, I managed an 18-plex mm-hmm. and a fourplex and a condo for the same person. And he let me live there with free rent at the 18-plex. Mm-hmm. So I had the rent paid for, but there's still a lot of expenses that you need to pay for, like food and car bills and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I was making, I don't remember, maybe 10 or $12 an hour. This is in 2006 and seven. I may have been making about 10 or 12 bucks an hour um, on, so, okay, let me back up a little bit. Sure. I got free rent for being the property manager, but I got 10 or $12 an hour for uh, maintaining the buildings. Sure. So if I mowed the lawn, or if I uh, painted one of the units when they when they turned over, then he would pay me on top of just the free rent. And so it wasn't like a full-time job, but I was maybe making um, two or 300 bucks a week, something like that, just maybe enough to make sure to kind of scrape by. But I did it intentionally because I wanted to learn the business. Sure. So even though it was a struggle, it was my plan to kind of get involved in the in the business of being a landlord. That's a great first step. I don't suggest the exact same step to every single person, but some people, it might resonate with them, and they say, that's a great way to do this. Free rent, a few bucks an hour, and I can learn the ropes. Oh, that's I, what I did. So, I th- I, No, I think, Adam, that's, that's actually, I mean... I never thought of it that way, but actually it's a great way to get in there. I mean, that's an excellent way to get into the business because not only are you learning 
to maintain buildings, obviously, by doing some handiwork. But also, you're learning how to manage it, hopefully, for yourself in the future. That's a great way to learn, actually, Adam. I, I never even thought about it that way. Um, it is. Should I go on to the other steps, or do you have any questions? Sure. No, actually, I just want to. I, I want to break down a couple of those things you mentioned because you mentioned a lot of great okay. things. Um, in in terms of, you know, you went to you, you were going to school because I've a lot maybe a lot of people are in school also, but you decided to you know you want to definitely get into real estate and you found some kind of entry level way to get in there because obviously you can't just jump from you know zero to 100 so you have to start from the bottom like the like a maintenance guy and rehabbing buildings um that's a great way to think of it but in in terms of like did you know what you wanted i mean did you set some goals for yourself uh could you tell talk a little bit about like what you really wanted what were you what were you pursuing great all i knew that i wanted was mm-hmm. i wanted to be a multi-family owner and i wanted to own a business uh, that mm. and it wasn't just once. It was like a very extreme, strong desire. Like mm. I had to. It mm-hmm. was a need. I had to do these things. Mm. But I didn't know what business I wanted. Uh, in it, just kind of. I started doing businesses that I was good at, or or taught me something mm. that I knew that I needed for the end goal. Because. I believe that this is a great point for anyone listening is that you have to begin with the end in mind. So look at yourself in 10 years and and believe that, believe your picture uh, and, and, you know, stop holding yourself down, uh, but allow yourself to, to open your mind to something very big. Mm. So back then I said, I'm in 10 years. uh, Actually, this is true. Oh my gosh. Randomly enough, this is in 2006 and seven. Mm-hmm. I said in 10 years, I, I want to own hundreds of doors. Mm-hmm. And I, and actually now today I own hundreds of doors, but, and I never thought of that. But <laughs> I, I always have a 10 year plan. And, uh, and so for your listeners, instead of like saying, I want to own hundreds of doors, but they kind of like don't do anything about it. You've got to say, I'm going to un- own a hundred doors. And then reverse engineer how you're going to do that and start making small steps. I read this book called, um, uh, what was it? Sorry, that I can't think of it all on the spot, darn it. Um, It'll probably come up later, but I read this book that talks about doing uh, a little tiny bit different things each day, each and every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just a small change. Oh, it's called the compound effect. And over time, you end up getting somewhere that you want. So subtle changes. And I, guys, I started this whole journey super poor. Like myself, I mean, I was barely paying for college, even though, um, even though I had a scholarship. Mm. Uh, you know, I didn't start this like my, my mom didn't give me a million bucks and say, here, here's your handout. Go do whatever you want. It was just, it's going to be a struggle for everybody. So anyway, beginning with the end in mind, and it's a compounding effect where you think you can't make a change, but if you do small things each and every day, over 10 years, you can build a portfolio of 100. And and I'm practically retired. I do work, but I make a lot of passive income because I have 100, and today I have 122 doors. (laughs) And let's just imagine that that's 100 bucks a month. Okay. Uh, 
that's that's a, that's great, man. That is great. I mean, that's that's the stuff I'm talking about. That's the stuff that inspires people when they hear stuff like that, Adam. That's the stuff that I love to hear because if you telling me that you came from the bottom and now you own hundreds of doors, actually, you actually mentioned another great point is you set yourself a big goal that ten years from now you're gonna own hundreds of units, mm-hmm. and ten years from now you do own the hundred. That that is because actually I have a I have a note I post it right up next to my you know my schedule, and it says I own. 2,950 units. That's what. That's my goal, obviously. But it's something that, yeah, you know, that's the stuff that I'm, I'm attaining for. Because to hear now that it came into fruition for yourself, that just makes it, you know, possible for anybody. You know, and that's what I love. You, you're telling me that anybody can start from wherever they are and move up to 100 doors 10 years later and be retired instead of following the, you know, the normal 60 years in the company. You know, you know that that mindset people are stuck in. You know that that's that's just, I, I, yeah. I really do think I, I. It's not that I think it's attainable. I just I know that if you wanted to own a hundred doors mm-hmm. in two years, you could do that too. You know, it's just there. Nothing's too big. If somebody has done it, you can absolutely do it. I am not any smarter than anybody. I'm not. I don't have a better college degree mm-hmm. than anybody. Mm-hmm. I don't. I didn't start better than anybody you know I just life is life and and we all have challenges but it's the way that you push past the challenges it's the way that you hold on to your vision Mm. and you have that piece of paper that says 2,950 units and you're looking at it every day and you that's a huge goal when you get there you're going to be making you know three million dollars four million dollars every single year Mm and some people are like, well, that's too big for me. I can't, I could never do that. But if you just change your psychology and say, how can I, mm. how can I do that? I love that. And I love that. How for can instance, I? Kenny, you've positioned yourself to be able to do that because you're on this podcast. You're inspiring a lot of people. A lot of people are going to want to work with you and uh, probably invest their money into deals that you do. Um, so you're, you're doing something for other people that's inevitably going to get back to you. So instead of saying, oh, that would have been cool if I could have like 2,950 doors, you said, how can I get 2,950 doors? Exactly. And you're on your path to it, and I know for sure you're going to get it because I know that anyone can do it, and I know that you have a goal, oh. and you're working toward it. So. I mean, Adam, that's... that's... I'm humbled. I'm humbled to hear that, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it from coming from a guy like yourself. Um, so, so let, let's 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 start talking about how how you started. And uh, you know, I, I did a little research myself, and I know your first deal was you bought a hundred hundred dollar piece of land. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Because that's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. Two thousand five yep. was my personal first deal that mm-hmm. I did in real estate. And I didn't have a bunch of money, and my dad didn't uh, want to give me the world either. Mm-hmm. But he uh, paid for this piece of land for me uh, for a hundred bucks. And the way that we did that um, was we went to the tax delinquent records mm-hmm. in Utah, mm-hmm. and this was in a county called Fair Fairview, uh, San Pete County. Fairview, Utah. The city is uh, Fairview. The county is San Pete. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we went to the county records, found this uh, few people. One of these guys was 
actually about to get his land taken from him, just taken from him. He wasn't going to get anything at all. And so my dad and I, we wrote a letter to the guy. And we just said, hey, um, your land is going to get taken away from you. Are you going to pay the taxes that are owed? Or uh, if not, instead of just letting it get taken away, why don't we pay you $100 to go to the bank and, and sign over what's called a quit claim deed? It means he loses, he relinquishes, he quits the claim to mm-hmm. the property mm-hmm. um, and leaves the liens in place. There's, there's a general warranty deed, which means that it, it is sold to the person with no encumbrances, no loans. Mm-hmm. But a quit claim deed means that you buy it with those things uh, in effect. Sure. And so we just gave this guy $100 to sign it over to us. And that now, so we own the, we own the land, but it's, but the land has a uh, debt on it. And so the debt was 75 bucks twice, it was like 150 extra dollars. Mm-hmm. So we paid the taxes. So we're all into this 250 bucks. <laughs> so we pay the taxes before it can go to tax auction. And, and which means that the county would have just given it, basically auctioned it off to someone. So we got him before that happened for a little bit less because it probably would have sold on auction for 500 to maybe a thousand bucks. At the time it was only worth $3,000. I held on to that for just two years and it ended up, uh, they, they, meaning uh, it was Aspen Hills Owners Association. Aspen Hills, which is the actual, uh, it was a, um, a uh, what is it, a cabin lot, mm-hmm. a cabin lot, mm-hmm. a piece of land with nothing on it. But Aspen Hills Owners Association in Fairview, Utah, decided to bring some water to it. And they start, decided to bring some, um, some cable to the area so that people could start living in luxury. And the day that they did that, the, all of the property values went up. And somebody reached out to me and said, I'd like to buy that for $12,000. And by this time, I'm only into it $250 total. <laughs> and it was really hard. I mean, I, I wish today that I still owned it because it's worth a lot more now. Sure. And I love the land. But still, I, I, I made a decision. I was hurting for money going through college. Sure. Uh, at the time, I was newly married, and uh, and I wasn't the sole decision maker. My my ex-wife, my wife at the time, was like, no, we need this money. And so I sold it for 12K, and uh, that was, it was a great deal. Yeah. A really good first deal. Yeah, Adam, that's, that's not a great deal. That's a phenomenal deal. I mean, look at that return. You have $12,000 on a $250 investment on just two years. Without you doing having to do a thing of anything, that's impressive too. I like that. That's why I wanted people to hear that story because it's it's possible. You know, two hundred fifty dollar investment could turn into something like that. I mean, obviously, it's very unique in this situation because you know the property happened to be uh, getting developed. But um, Adam, you, I mean, you picked right, or your dad picked right, and you know, you guys made some <laughs> made, made some good choice right there. Thank you. Yeah, you know, that was a, that was a lot of fun, and it opened my eyes to what was possible with real estate. Exactly. It wasn't until 2008 until I bought my first 
multi-unit so sure sure let's 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 move right along i mean so then from from that land obviously you learned a little bit you got um you know you got some money but what did you decide to start getting to you decided i know you started getting into some uh some flips did you start doing some single families correct not yet um back i've done some flips but that's recent it was like 
I found somebody to buy it and then owner finance it to me. Mm. Um, so, it, I mean, there's all sorts of strategies with real estate. The best thing that I can tell people is instead of saying, oh, the bank said I can't, so I can't. It's, oh, how can I? How can I do it? Oh, you said no, so how can I still do it? Mm. Who else can I reach out to? And it's it's that you know, determination, the persistence, the relentless behavior of not taking no for an answer, but finding the yes, going and going and going until it happens to be a yes, which is, is really what I think made me successful. Uh, I, I didn't tell myself I came from a poor family, so I'm always going to be poor. I didn't tell myself uh, the bank says I can't do it, so I can't do it. It was just like, well, I'm going to do it. I want to do it. This is my plan. I've got to do it. So how can I, you know? Mm -hmm. that's, that's great, Adam, because it's always that mindset that blocks a lot of people, especially if if they, first of all, get over the fear. I mean, fear is a big thing, but, I mean, those roadblocks also just people quit so quickly, especially nowadays. You know, people barely even try, but even when they get a little resistance, they quit right away. So that's the great yeah. thing that you show that in terms of you got you have to figure a way either. over. Like, I remember my coach, my basketball coach says, listen, if you have a wall, you don't just turn around and walk back. You got to go underneath it. You got to go over it. You got to, you, you know, <laughs> you got to figure out a way to get over that thing because that's the only way you're going to progress. Um, so that's, that's great. So, and then, so in terms of now you bought your first multi, I mean, that's impressive because your first deal is a multifamily. <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty nice too. Cause a lot of people don't do that also. Um, and then how, how did you progress from there? Went from one level to a different level. 
The payments on their house because of what's called an adjustable rate mortgage or an ARM loan, A-R-M, their, their, the rates went up and so their payments went up. So people could no longer afford handymen. So I went from 13 employees down to two part-time employees and I had to go back to bartending. And so I was focused a lot on trying to get myself back through the economy and I was barely scraping by again. Mm. When I was used to a certain lifestyle, just because a year and a half, went, uh, or about a year or two, something like this, I was making 20K a month and now I was, I was struggling to keep, you know, the food on the table again. And so how did I progress? Well, I did bartending for a few years. I was scared. I, my tail was tucked underneath my legs. I was afraid of being a real estate investor, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I, my mindset shifted, and I was no longer feeling like I could conquer the world. So one day comes 2015, and I hated my job. And I said, I am done with this. So I started doing real estate on the side. Mm-hmm. And when I did my first fix and flip, Actually, it wasn't, I wouldn't even call it a fix and flip. It was more like a flip and flip because I bought a property on the tax deed auction. I was living in Colorado, but I bought a Florida property. Mm-hmm. I bought it for 16000 None of my money. I had a partner who put up 100% of the money. And we sold that eight days later for 29000 mm-hmm. So what we did with it in the first eight days of owning it is I replaced, I, I cleaned out the hoarder, it was a condo, mm-hmm. I cleaned out in Fort, in, in the Fort Lauderdale area, which is Broward County, um, and it's actually in Lauder Hill, which is west of 95, anyway, I went there, I cleaned out all the junk, there was like dead rats in there, the lady that lived there just didn't take good care of it, she was, she was hoarding everything, it was smelly, dirty, and uh, a lot of junk, so I cleaned out the junk, replaced the carpet, and painted it and put a sign out in the second day and had it under contract within eight days uh, for twice what we put into it, almost twice what we put into it, 16 and 29. So, um, so I said that, and I hope that I can share something with the listeners that's extremely important to me. Yes. Don't do exactly what I did. You'll struggle, and I don't want your listeners to struggle. Eventually, I made it because I'm just so determined. I just made it, but I'm going to tell you, I quit my job after doing that one flip. And then it took me uh, several months to even buy the next flip. So we, I really didn't have enough money coming in to uh, allow me to quit my job, but I, I was mad at my boss, and I was thrilled that I just doubled our money so easily. So I thought it was going to be an easy road. Real estate's not super easy, but if you have, are determined, it's ab- absolutely achievable. Mm. Anyway, so I did this flip in this, I think this is in like March, and then and then I did, didn't do my next flip until uh, July. So it wasn't like wonderful. What I would probably suggest to most people mm-hmm. is to do the flip, save the cash, do the next flip, save the cash, and when you uh, have like maybe a, a, a several months worth of income set aside and you've perfected what you're doing, that's probably a pretty good time to say, I could quit my job. Don't do it off of the first deal. 
there's a lot to learn in real estate, but learn it while you have your job. Hustle on the side to do a side gig, and when it makes sense for you, when it actually makes sense and you're just not mad at your boss, that's when I'd probably quit. Anyway, I, I struggled again. <laughs> lost, my, lost my job, got rid of it, you know, burned my bridge, uh, basically said F you to my boss, and, and uh, didn't have the opportunity to go back, calling back there and begging for my job. So I just made it work, and I, and I struggled for about a year and a half. I'm just being a full-time uh, networker and real estate investor. I started a meetup group to start getting my to start meeting new people and being the leader of this meetup group mm -hmm. and that took off and had massive success and eventually i bought several rentals and now i i still work but if i wanted to not work mm -hmm. I, I could probably do that but unlike you i've got a big goal I want to have 10,000 doors in the next 10 years nice. so it means that I, I need to do like a thousand a thousand doors on average every year for the next 10 years to be able to achieve that. So it's something fun to work toward. And the more success that I get, the more I want to share with other people. And the more money I get, the more I want to be able to donate to causes, travel the world, have fun. But I'm not done, even though I guess technically I probably don't have to work right now. <laughs> You hear that, people? He does not have to work, but he decides to work because he loves his job. That's one thing, Adam, I'm picking up from you is the fact that, like you said, if you don't like, you don't even need to work, but you're working because it's just a passion. Like, like you said, same. I mean, ten thousand dollars in ten years—that's a massive goal, and it's going to take massive steps, massive networking. And Adam is up for that. Like he knows what's up for that, and he knows he's going to go after that. So that's what's impressive, especially for my audience. They need to understand that. After you reach actually one goal, like you just keep pushing. Like I remember my first goal was ten units, Adam. Ten units. I love it. I was like, man, if I get ten units, I'm gonna be a millionaire. I went like I remember I I passed it like within the first two years, and I was like, this is this is I gotta you know it's 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 <laughs> so that's the stuff I'm talking about, Adam. Especially when people hear that you know it takes it takes getting hit because it's gonna happen. You're gonna get hit. You're going to lose a house. You're going to, you know, the market's going to crash. Your credit's going to get trashed. Something's going to happen. But it's about can you get back up and keep fighting? Because look at you now. You're, you're sitting on units that, you you know, that you that bring you money every single month. That's great, Adam. I mean, and it also shows that you grow. You know, you didn't just stay with the single families because you went on to, you know, to, to have multis. Um, now, in terms, because I know now you're doing syndications and bigger things like that. Um, could you tell a little bit about, like, how how you went into that area and how you know how can other people maybe grow in that area too because a lot of people you know they they're, they're watching and they're following your your steps adam so can you tell a little bit about that yeah if you're uh, absolutely and i'd be thrilled to sure um, i'm super passionate about multifamily sure. and i and syndications is an excellent way to do it so okay a syndication basically means that my team we find a deal we analyze it and underwrite it and figure out if it's a deal. And when it is, we try to get it under contract. And once it's under contract, we don't put our own money into it. We actually reach out to investors. Mm -hmm. And there's a legal way to 
out to investors and raise the capital for that building mm-hmm. by selling them the great opportunity which you've underwritten. And when that happens, you end up buying the property and you don't have your own money into it, but other people put their money into it. And now you own it together with your passive investors. And I, I just got to stress, there's a legal way to do this. Mm-hmm. And you want to learn that legal way before you uh, start really moving or even asking for money. Because if you do it wrong, you could go to jail. So there is things that you need to know before you do it. Of course. Um, I, I absolutely love the business model. And we've syndicated two buildings, a 16 unit mm-hmm. uh, for $1.2 million, which means we had about 300K that we had to raise. So we raised that from other people. And uh, we said, hey, look at this property. Would you like to be invested in it? So we gave our passive partners, our equity partners, 70% of the deal. And my team kept 30% of the deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we came into it with no money. They came into it with money. We manage it, and or we manage the manager. And on the next deal that we syndicated was an 83 unit for 3.9 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we did is we looked at it. We bought it with equity, so we found that it was worth 4.5, and we put in an offer for 3.9. We're able to give our passive equity partners, our passive investors. Uh, we're able to give them about 8% of their money just as we go. Okay. And total, um, they'll be basically doubling their money in about five years on this one. They get 93% return in about five years. So, um, wow. So that's impressive, Adam. That is, in, that, that's nice. That's actually really impressive because a lot of people don't know what to do with their money. And you have a great vehicle right there just to just to grow their money, but also get a nice return, high, much higher than the bank is paying, obviously. Absolutely. Mm. Um, so overall, maybe it's about 20% uh, uh, per year. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't get all that up front, just to be clear. Sure. They get maybe half of it at the back end, and they slowly get the other half as monthly or quarterly distributions. Sure. And now we're looking at 160 units, 173 units, uh, 222 units, 246 units. So we have four properties that we're trying to close on right now, um, almost a thousand doors, right? And if we're going to do most of these, we'll probably have to raise, on the 83 unit, we raised 1.3 million. It took about a month to do that. On these next ones, they're purchase price are somewhere close to uh, $12 million each. So each one will probably have to raise about $4 million from just people in our network. Mm-hmm. So it's like you start to run out of people that have money as you keep doing this. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is I've started a podcast and I teach people how to do syndications. So that podcast helps me kind of get my name out there. Sure. And allow people to see what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. So if they want to be invested, they will probably reach out to me and be able to be part of one of our deals. So that's what I kind of reverse engineered. Instead of saying, well, I don't know people with $4 million, 
I said, well, how can I know people with $4 million? Mm -hmm. Well, if I, if I start my own podcast, if I go and try to speak about this uh, thing around the world, it will help. And let me back up because maybe you have a listener who is like, yeah, that sounds cool, but how could I have a podcast about syndication mm. if I haven't done a syndication? Well, you can do it like this. You can just be an interview person and you can just ask high-quality guests how did they do it. <laughs> and uh, you can learn and you can, you're basically showing your audience what is going on. And as you continue to bring on these fantastic guests, yes. people are going to start saying, I want to listen to this more. And as you go, you just kind of slowly tell people about your journey. Hey, I just got my first syndication. It was 12 units. Awesome. People are like, wow, this guy's a real rock star. Now he's really doing it. But maybe that comes a year after you start. Maybe it comes a month after you start. Maybe it comes two years after you start. Mm -hmm. But you're still positioning yourself. If you're having like a YouTube channel or a podcast or a radio uh, thing or, or however you want to do it, maybe a meetup group like I started with, sure. it'll help you to start to have people look at you as that type of a person and they'll start to get to know you. And when you're ready to raise the money, mm -hmm. you'll already have those connections. You'll already have those people that love and, and want to follow you and want to work with you. So even if you haven't done it, guys, folks, women, uh, men and women, mm -hmm. if you haven't yet done a syndication, but you really want to get into it, I would just start your own podcast around syndications, around apartment investing, and, and start interviewing people. And if you don't know who to interview, um, talk to Kenny yes. or talk to me because both of us probably have a network of great people that can come on your podcast to help you get your name out. Exactly. Great stuff, Adam. Great stuff. That's, that's, Hey, he's, he's he's stealing my my stuff right there. My audience is listening. I, I'm telling I'm telling you the truth. I learn from all my podcast guests. I learn fr from every single one. You know, and no matter you know how what industry they come from, you can learn from everyone. I mean, that's what Ab uh, Abraham Lincoln said. You can learn from everyone. So, um, I mean, and Adam's a great 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 person right now. I'm learning from right now as we do this podcast. That's why it's called Investing Your Future because. I mean, it's your own future. You're investing in by listening to this podcast. So that's great, Adam. Um, so I mean, you, so now you're doing syndication deals. Um, can, can you t kind of take us through, um, like the deal process, the maybe the, the deal cycle, and how, um, because maybe how you what, what markets you look at, and what what's kind of um, in terms of like the deal itself. What are you looking for in terms of a deal? If you're looking for a deal. Awesome question. And talking. Okay, so number one, you need a team. Mm. You would be, I think you'd be just dumb. You'd be that person who's like beating your head against the wall if you didn't bring a team together to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll just be honest. Mm -hmm. like, you don't want to wear every hat when you're starting a business. It is harder that way. So you want to align yourself with a couple of people, one, two, three, four. In my case, I've got eight people. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a, a rough start because we're not making as much money per thing because we're splitting it. But eventually, that gives me my 10,000 doors. So first, you've got to have a team. That's the beginning of finding deals. Sure. All right? Now, so we have one person who's just in acquisitions. And there's there's me, who I'm kind of like the face of the company. So a lot of people think Blue Spruce is just Adam Adams. It's, it's not. I've, I've, got, I've got the podcast. I've got the meetups. I go and speak around the country. Mm -hmm. But I have... People 
people way smarter than me who can underwrite the deals, who, who know, who's a, I've got an engineer who actually loves spreadsheets, who does that part. And so how do we do it? Well, number one, we get our name out. We get our name out to other people. So that's me. I'm the one who gets our name out. And when people say, Adam Adams, he can close on a real estate deal. He can close on a big, you know, $12 million multifamily. So I'm going to try him before I try somebody else because I know he can close. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of help, helping us to find the deal. Mm -hmm. Now when we find a deal, you know, we probably go through 100 deals to find a good one, wow. honestly. Wow. So I'm putting my face out and getting people to look at us and say, these guys can close. But when it comes in, I need an underwriter who can who can actually weed out 99% of these and say, well, this is why it doesn't work. And they can do it without emotion because there's a lot of people that just want a deal and they'll just get a deal even if it doesn't make sense. Um, and so I would rather have an engineer who, who doesn't get emotional about anything, who doesn't, you know what I mean, they don't use their emotions to buy. Mm -hmm. And once I find that person, then I know that our deals are actually going to be a solid actual deal because he's only getting the best ones. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we've got our name out. Now you asked about market selection and I don't want to, I don't want to make people think that you can only do this in one market. So I want to let you know we're in a few markets and what we look for in a market is to make sure that the area is growing. So for instance, look at the past like 10 years and look to see that it's just been steady growth. I don't want to get to an area that has spiked last year. Uh, because if I didn't want it spiked last year, I don't know what's going to happen next year because maybe I'll lose 100% of those people away again. It'll just like all the people move in one year, all the people move in the next year. So a spike is not what we're looking for. True. It's a steady growth. Maybe um, one one percent a year for the last uh, ten to five to ten years. When you find that, you know you're in a pretty strong area. Mm -hmm. If it grew one or two percent year over year, two years in a row, that's also super helpful. Mm -hmm. But I, I like a steady growth. Okay. If you see a decline where people are starting to move out, it's it's not a deal for us. Mm -hmm. Some people can buy. Some people can have success. It's just not a deal for my company. Sure. So there's just a few ideas of what to look for when looking at a market. Uh, job diversification is a big one. It, let's just say if there's one employer that hosts or holds 20 or more percent of the job market, just one single employer, mm. I probably would stay away from that area altogether. Okay. Just me. You could probably make money. But to me, it seems like a level of risk that I don't want to take. So I prefer to make sure that it's each employer has 17% or less of the market mm. and that there's, that there's diversification with several different types of jobs. If it's all super high-end jobs and there's no room for low-end, it's not for us. If mm. there's only low-end jobs, it's not for us. We want a good, diverse area. Nice. We prefer a hundred thousand plus people, but there is there are great syndicators doing great things in markets where there's only thirty thousand people. 
It's not for us, but you can make money there if you want. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I want 100000 plus just in the city that I'm buying it in, or at least it's called MSA, which is uh, Metro Statistical Area, something like that. I'm, I'm probably saying it wrong, and I'm on a podcast, but it's all right. it's called the right. MSA. So um, you want to look at an MSA where that city or, the, or really close to it, really, really close to it, you've got 100,000 people. So we would buy in, for instance, we would buy in like Kaysville, Utah. Maybe they only have 30 or 60,000 people, but they are, you're, it's a close drive within 30 minutes of Salt Lake City, Utah. You know, we would buy in Lakewood, Colorado, and maybe they only have 30 or 40,000 people in, but it's about 30 minutes from downtown Denver, which has a huge MSA, mm -hmm. uh, hundreds of thousands of people. So hopefully that makes sense. Yes, it does. And then you and then you ask the process. So we, for us, mm -hmm. we bring a deal in, we underwrite the deal, make sure it makes sense, and if it does, we do something called the LOI. This is basically an offer, but it's a it's a it's the way you call the offer within multifamily. It's just called something else. Letter of intent, a letter of intent to buy. You only do this after you've seen the numbers. Now you put in, it's, it's basically an offer. It's two or three pages that kind of tells them what key points you want to be within a contract. Mm -hmm. And you don't send a contract like you do with single family because you usually have an attorney draft a specific contract each and every time. And so that's why we start with an LOI, a letter of intent. It's a two or three page um, offer that gives us the bullet points of what we would look for and if they accept the LOI, then we go and hire an attorney to draft this paperwork for us. All right, so when, they, when we actually go under contract is usually for my team the first time we fly out to an area. Once it's actually under contract, we'll fly there mm -hmm. and start to look at the units, hire inspectors, and we, we start to raise money, both on the debt side and the equity side. All right, so we're doing our due diligence on the property at the same time as we're reaching out to private investors and saying, hi, I have a deal. It's, it just came up. Hopefully you've already talked to these people about the types of opportunities that you will see. So sure. they're, pre, they're, pre, they're already ready mm -hmm. for hearing this. And so you say, hey, I got that deal that works the way that you said you wanted to invest. And so we're, we're under contract on it, and you tell, share a few more details with them, and then they say if they're in or they're out. And at the same time, you're raising your debt. So that's your equity because these are your passive equity partners, and then you also do your debt, which is, means you're reaching out to banks or credit unions or loan brokers for these agency debt, or they call all sorts of different types of debt loans, mm -hmm. and it's readily available. And don't worry, they're not looking at you like they do with single family. They're actually looking at the property. It's totally different. Mm -hmm. They want to know, is the property making money? Now, if the property is making money, then they will say, yes, I want a loan on it. I want to lend on this asset. So they'll do it maybe 70-30 or 80-20. Uh, most of ours are 80-20. Mm -hmm. And I will, my team will sign on the loan, and 
property partners will come in. They start putting their money, they wire it, or they send us checks. We're now, now that everything's going through, we're, we're getting a new entity built because we're not going to own the property. A brand new entity that we're starting will own that property. Sure. So it won't even be Blue Spruce, which is my company that owns it. It'll be 123 Main Street mm-hmm. LLC that owns it. And so we start that new LLC. We bring partners into the LLC, the passive equity partners fund the LLC, and then when we get qualified by the bank, at which point we say everything's ready to go, all the due diligence is done, mm-hmm. we're ready to close, and and now there's a wire transfer that goes from that new brand new and LLC mm-hmm. to the to the um, seller of the property. And we are done. We, we close it, but I, I, I hesitate to say we're done because once that happens, you actually need to manage the property. You actually need to run the property and make sure that you're going to meet your five-year projections for your investors. You know? So now you have to have your team to focus on making sure that asset doesn't lose money for you or your passive investors. Mm. That's kind of like the overview of, of how it really works to buy these assets. Nice, nice, Adam. That's 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 a great explanation because you're totally. I mean, I was going to ask you in between what between the equity and debt, but obviously you went into that, which I mean, now the audience understands it. Um, and, and I I love the fact that you said it. You know, you don't fly out there until you have it under obviously under contract because it doesn't make sense to waste those resources. Um, and then in terms of now you have the deal, um, the LLC is all set up. Um, what kind of because I know you have obviously have some kind of value add that you do you do these properties or for some kind of appreciation to get those returns. So what can you tell us about um, if you know if, let's say a, a member of the audience bought brought a property and now they want to really bring it up to maximum value? How how can they do that? Oh, that's a really good question. These properties are worth their income. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if it's a business, you're really just buying a business. So sure. you know it's not kind of house. They just kind of value it because what the other houses are sold for. But what they value uh, these multifamily assets is is a, it's a commercial type of a, a loan. So they just want to know how much is it making. So when you buy it, you might see that it's based on something called the NOI, a net operating income. Sure. This is what the value of the property is worth. That and something called a cap rate, which is how fast does it capitalize. So in an area like Denver, you you might be buying things at a four cap. In a in an area like Chicago, you might be buying them at a twelve cap. Okay, so mm-hmm. um, the more desirable an area is, the more somebody's willing to pay. And basically, they'll pay more to get less income because they feel like it's a safe city, a safe uh, city where it's going to appreciate or whatever. So, how do you add value? Well, you just add value by increasing the net operating income. Mm. So how do you do that? You lower your expenses or and or you raise your income. So the net operating income is the net difference between income and expenses. So if you have a property where they're paying 13% to their property manager and you know you could pay 8% to a property manager, you already know you're saving 5% on the expenses and if you change that by 5% and you're talking about a million dollar 
um, property, mm-hmm. this or uh, income, and you just change it by that five percent. Maybe you're skewing it by fifty grand a month, or let's just call it fifty grand for the whole year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're if it's fifty grand for the whole year and you're buying this at a ten cap, it's easy to do the math. You just raised your rents ten times. You just raised your property value ten times by changing the manager. All you did was change out the manager for somebody with more reasonable rates, mm-hmm. and you're all of a sudden you've made 500k on one day. You do something, you make a decision on one day, and all of a sudden your property goes up 500k. Mm-hmm. And other things like maybe the rents you you notice that the rents are low. Okay, so you say, well, the area in these rents are supposed to be. Uh, 500, but they, these guys are only charging 450 for each of these units. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go in and slowly, over the next two years, I'm going to change. I'm going to slowly change all those rents from the 450 to the 500. So if you do that, then you're effectively adding like 10 or 11 percent in the, of rental income over the next couple of years. Here, so. By making that happen over two years, if it's 100 units, that's $50 per unit per month, and that's 12 months. So 50 times 100 is 5000 I think. I, I 50 times 100, yeah, I think it's $5,000 that you're making um, each month, 50 times 100, I hope that's right, is 5000 Now, that's... Now you actually are talking about doing this for uh, all year, for 12 months. So $5,000 multiplied by 12 is $600,000. And now, if you take that by a cap rate of a five cap, Mm -hmm. let's just say it's a five cap, now you're basically effectively taking that $60,000 and multiplying it by 20, which is, it it should be around $1.2 million or something like this. It's a lot. Yeah, and all of a sudden, you've changed the value of your property over two years by $1.2 million by something that's called forced appreciation. You've forced the rents up to a market rent, and you, you've brought in a little bit more income, and because it, the value of that property is based on a capitalization rate mm-hmm. of 5 or 10 or 12, you now you see that you have made yourself a million dollars or your investors and yourselves a million dollars and it only took you two years so a lot of really fantastic ideas there there's ways of lowering your water bill there's ways of lowering uh, charging back your electric bill to your tenants so all of a sudden you save thirty dollars a door I mean, there are so many different ideas that mm-hmm. you could do when you call it value add. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's a number of things to lower expenses or raise income. Maybe you actually put in a laundry facility with coin-operated laundry. Mm-hmm. And so you your rents were already at the top, but now you don't have to make your tenants drive far away, and it's only a buck. But you have 100 units, and they do five loads per whatever per week. And so that's a that's five hundred loads. That's five hundred dollars a week. That's two thousand dollars a month. That's twenty four thousand dollars for the year. That, that's that's the reason I, I want to really get into this commercial game, Adam, because I see the potential in it. I mean, I, myself, all I've done is a couple of um, 
not a couple, maybe pl plenty of four plexes, three plexes, but that turnover to a five, you know, to a commercial, it gets obviously a little different, obviously, like I said, with the, the financing, but I see the potential in it where even, I mean, because you've been in it so for for a while, would you say, what what's the best amount, let's say, for a beginner in terms of economies of scale, just to start, so that way it, it's not too big, but it's not too small, so that way they can get the you know the the taste of it. But in terms of what's the best, you say, size wise for uh, for a beginner, economy wise, economies of scale. It is super hard to answer that question. Mm. I did sixteen. Okay. I didn't. Uh, sixteen is terrible, but it got a foot in the door. Sure. So it's it's really hard if you're talking about economies of scale. Yes. Then. Mm-hmm. 
question is do big or by sneaky, tactfully, finding a way to either raise money for somebody or to give money to somebody's deal or to find a deal for somebody who's really closing these. Mm. And I can give you uh, 10 people off the top of my head that would love it if you did any one of those three things for them and it would put you as an owner of 100 or 200 units automatic. So mm. there's just a little bit of info. Sorry that I answered a question so lengthily. No, it's okay. But I it's hope okay. it was valuable. No, Adam, that, that's what I want. That's what I want the audience. I mean... Uh, they hear enough of me on my on my other solo solo podcast. I mean, this is your podcast, so you you can go as long as you want. I'm don't worry about it. Um, no, actually, that's great because a lot of people, like you said, they might be uh, intimidated by the size of 100 units. Listen, even myself, I was a little intimidated, but now I'm looking at 100 units also myself, and I'm like, it's just it's just. It's just adding a zero instead of ten units, you're getting a hundred units. You know, so it's 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 not that big of a deal in terms of just your mind is th- is overthinking it. I think that's what thing I, I'm learning right now. You know, it's just people overthinking the size of a hundred units instead of thinking it's just another zero added on, and everything else hopefully can work out in terms of you know finding investors and trying to get everything lined up. But people get intimidated and say, oh, I can't do that, so they start maybe with two units and you know these single families. But they can they, they need to understand there's other ways to get into those hundred units by like you said the back door of finding investors or finding money raisers or finding you know the deal for the person and becoming an owner by just finding the deal. So you you have to be creative. And Adam has brought out so many different ways you can find deals. And, and I'm trying to actually ask Adam, how do you find your deals? Is is there is there a network you use? Is there a website you use? Agents? I mean, how do you find your deals? We find our deals because people bring them to us. Um, So we're a little bit different. The the standard person that's uh, trying to do this business, they usually go on LoopNet, which is where most of the multifamily are. Or there's three things that most people do. Uh, Two things that most people do, and one thing that some people do, okay? LoopNet, most people are on there. Um, The other one is calling brokers, actively phoning, phone calling brokers all day, every day, keeping in front of them until they give you a deal. Mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of swimming upstream, honestly, because they already have a bunch of people that have probably closed more deals than you Mm -hmm. that are already calling them. And they probably want to share these deals with the people that they know are going to be able to close before they share them with people that they are not sure if they're going to close. So to me, that's kind of like swimming, swimming upstream, making uh, harder. You're going against the current. Mm-hmm. Um, and LoopNet, there's already a lot of people there. So those two things are the most common. We don't really do them. The next thing that some people do that we do a little bit of is just by reaching out to local um, real estate agents because sometimes these sometimes these go on the MLS. Not often. You, you sh- they're a little bit different. They're, they're usually always off market and they're usually, if they're on market, it's usually loop net. So if you can't do it the two main ways, then you go in and reach out to a broker and say, can you just send me any deals that are in this place that go on the MLS? It's not very common that they come onto the MLS. It's a different way. So there's a lot of active syndicators that don't even look and by syndicators i just mean apartment investors in general that don't actively look at the mls to find their deals so you're kind of finding a niche niche uh, something 
that is unique. Mm. For my company, we kind of decided not to do any of that, really. We just wanted people to bring us deals. I was trying to find a way to swim downstream with the current to make it easier on us. So what we did is we, we decided to have a podcast. We decided to host meetup groups and to speak around the country. And as we do that and get our name out, a lot of people say, well, these guys can close, and they just bring us the deal. Right? And we've kind of reverse engineered the process. And they kind of began with the end in mind and, and try to make it easier on us. Uh, so there's a lot of ways. And that's just how we do it. We get in front of people, and they bring us deals. And we, we underwrite probably almost that we look at almost 100 deals a week. I'll be honest with you. We probably look at 100 a week, and we probably put in about 10 LOIs, as we talked about LOIs before, that's just offers. Yes. So I put in 10 LOIs every single week, and we get about maybe one in 30 or one in 40 of the LOIs we put out will go get accepted. So it's a lot of work, mm. but it can be super helpful, and, and it's, a, it's a great business model, and we work as a team to do it. That's, that's, that's great, Adam. That's, that's the stuff that, you know, that people should learn from is obviously you can't do it by yourself. You know, Adam has a great team behind him that supports him. And um, just a, a couple last questions and uh, then we're good, Adam. Um, so in, in, in terms, because now you're a syndicator. And um, so you said, where do you, where do you usually go to find your investors? I mean, you say you go to um, the meetup, you built up the meetup. But is there any other places that you go to find investors for your, for your syndications? Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of other people have some really fantastic ideas out there, mm-hmm. um, in addition to what I, what I could share. Uh, for me, I run a very successful meetup group. Mm-hmm. We have 4,000 RSVPs per year, and I found the most success with my own meetup group. It sounds intimidating, but you don't have to be that big to really find these people. You just have to be the leader of it. Mm-hmm. So that's where we get most of our investors. Is we're always telling them what we're doing, but we're never asking for money. We're just waiting for them to come to us and say, hey, can I get in on your next deal? And it's like, okay, yeah, let's talk. You know, so we, it's very relaxed, and we just build relationships with people and wait for them to say that they want to invest. And when we have a deal, we, we, we reach out to them and say, we've got one. You know, mm-hmm. first they tell you that they want to invest. Second, you give them what's called a... Uh, a sample deal package of three or four, five pages of kind of like what kind of criteria you look for. Mm -hmm. And then you just say, if we do this, would you like to be involved? And if they say yes, then when you have one, just have the property be similar to what the sample deal package was and show them and say, we've got that. And you said you wanted to do 50K, so here's how you wire it. So that's kind of how we do that. But I'm positive that I'm going to start getting more investors reaching out to me because I do the podcast and I go speak at events. When you speak at the event and you're eloquent enough and honest and sincere enough, Mm -hmm. people come to you after and they say, hey, I've got $2 million. I want to align myself with you. How can I do that? And, And you'll find a lot of success speaking at events, hosting your own meetup, hosting a podcast. Um, doing a YouTube channel mm. by kind of getting in front of people. Me personally, I hate sale. I hate like actually selling. So I, I just, I just put myself in front of people and let them reach out to me. That seems the easy way for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
anyway. No, that, that's actually great, Adam, because that seems more genuine, too, instead of trying to push something like, hey, put your money in this deal over here. Because a lot of people have seen that show, you know, American Greed, and there's a lot of people out there that, you know, if you're, if you're not smart with your money and you're not going with the people that you can trust and the people that, you know, are trustworthy, you could easily lose your money. So be careful out there. Obviously, Adam's a professional, and he's done this for years, and, you know, that's why... He's on this podcast because obviously his speciality in multifamily and raising money. A lot of people can learn from that. Um, Adam, just a couple more questions. And these are kind of like more personal questions. So, you know, be free with them. Um, it, you know, obviously your real estate is is big. But what, what else do you do for yourself? I mean, I know you do a little CrossFit. So uh, <laughs> how's that going? Good. Yeah, I try to. Uh, I, have, I have kids. I've got two boys. Sure. I try to have fun with them. Yeah. On, uh, you know, Saturday we always do something super fun, you know, go to, go to amusement parks or whatever. Nice. Um, you know, I, I try to do homework with the kids, stuff like that. Nice, nice. Um, so that's a big part of my life. Um, hosting all my meetup groups is a huge part of my life. Running my podcast is a big part of my life. Sure. And, um, and I, I try to stay in shape. I try to exercise. Because, like, if I if I go to CrossFit, or if I go to the gym mm-hmm. in the morning, uh, like, my whole day is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I just feel fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I try to do that. Other than those things, I'm just extremely focused on growing my businesses. I have a real estate brokerage. I have a, I, I have a, pro, a property buying company. It's mm-hmm. called Blue Swiss Holdings, where we buy uh, these multifamily assets. I lend hard money to... Mm-hmm. Fix and flippers in Colorado who are trying to do a fix and flip, mm-hmm. and for the, you know, so we have we just have capital that we've raised through something called uh, it's like a fund basically. Sure. So we lend capital to fix and flippers. So I I'm pretty much kind of focused on nice. on bringing the Blue Spruce brand out, and I love it. It's like it's like fun for me. Mm-hmm. So I guess I kind of work I don't know probably sixty eighty hours a week, but it, I I it's, it's it's enjoyable. That's it's, it's like somebody who's going water skiing all the time. I'm doing what I love, you know. See, that's that's what's crazy. I asked I asked him what he does for fun, and he brings it back to real estate because that's what he loves. And I knew that's going to happen, Adams. So that's what's great. Um, in terms of um, uh, let's say you know now this is kind of more personal question, but like let's say you can't leave any money for your you know for your kids, you can't leave anything else. But you can leave some advice. What, what advice would you leave for for those for those you know close to you? Obviously your family, but maybe you can't leave anything else. Just this is advice. What kind of advice would you leave? Two things. I would say instead of saying I can't, say how can I? Sure. And the second thing I would say is persistence and determination give you endless potential. Mm. Love that. That's great, Adam. That's great. And uh, we mentioned a little couple earlier, um, you know, obviously Adam's big on education and and, uh, reading. That's why he has a great podcast out there. You guys need to check it out, the Creative Real Estate Podcast. He has so many guests on there, so much information. I mean, I try to take in, I think I listened to everything, Adam. I think I took everything in, actually. I think I listened to, I think I'm missing maybe one episode, but I think I took everything. And he has great guests on there. Um, But in terms of Education-wise, in terms of reading, I know you mentioned The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. I read that book. I have it in my library. And obviously, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and The Four Quadrant, for A Cash Flow Quadrant, which are great books. Also, I have those. But any other books you suggest to the audience that they can get into? No. Uh, there's a lot of great books out there. Mm-hmm. But those, th- those three that you mentioned would, 
Yes, I, I believe also. I mean, the, the same thing with me. Um, and in terms of, I know you said you give seminars. Are you, anything coming up this side? Because I know you're, you're in Colorado, but I'm in Boston. So do you have anything you want to plug? Anything you want to talk about that's coming up? In Boston? Well, anywhere. Or a, anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. I know I'm, I'm in Boston, but I just want to know. Maybe some people want to reach out to you. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah. I will, I will give you a couple of quick things. Sure. Um, I will be in... Um, I will be personally in Boston nice. in September. Okay. So we should get together. Definitely. Uh, so what I learned, my my mentor is in Boston. So I learned from someone called Dave Wendell how to buy apartments. And I recommend that to your listeners. We never talked about that. Oh, sure. Education is extremely important sure. and uh, very helpful. So I will be there. And I will also be in Chicago in August. I'll actually be at the Chicago WIA speaking in front of about 200 people. So sure. if you guys are in Chicago, uh, come and join me. Sure. And then I will be speaking at Rod Cleek's event. Um, he and I are in a mastermind together, and he runs a fantastic podcast. Yes. So if, at the end of August, if you'd like to see that, it's going to be the 23rd for the WIA, mm-hmm. and then the 24th, 5th, and 6th for the boot camp. Mm-hmm. Other than that, if you're ever in... Colorado, I mean, I host almost 20 events a month, every single month. So uh, I've always got an event. I've always got something valuable for you. <laughs> sure. If you want to come to Colorado, sure. I run some great meetings. So I would love to. Yeah, I, I would, can plug that stuff. Oh, definitely. I, would, I'm, I, I will be in Colorado sometime, definitely, to check out the whole business. And uh, you can check him out, obviously, on the podcast, Creative Podcast. He has uh, the real blue. Pr- realbluespruce.com um, I mean Adam thank you very much actually I wanted to actually ask you one more, one more thing because you mentioned it was Dave Lindahl uh, he's another great mentor myself um, I have not met Dave yet obviously I'm in the process of trying to meet him but you mentioned a great thing because mentors obviously got you to where you are correct yeah it, it, it's a mindset is what got me to where I am sure. my mentor is what helped me to make sure that I was Big. That's that's big. You need, uh, audience, you guys. I hope you picked up something from this, this this episode. I mean, Adam's a powerhouse in multifamily syndications. I mean, I hope you picked up something from him because he he just dropped knowledge through the whole podcast. I mean, he's an apartment investor. He's an author. Actually, Adam, what's what's the name of the book? You want to put that out there also? Uh, what's the name of which book? I, I, I thought you were writing a book. I thought you were writing some kind of book. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay, so I don't have the title of it, but it's coming out pretty soon. Sure. If you guys want the book, just uh, you text uh, meetup to 555-888. Okay. And that gives you the six things that made my meetup super popular. So it's, it's only seven, it's only six digits. It's not like a, a phone number. Sure. Send a text message that says meetup to 555-888. Mm-hmm. And then whatever the book comes out, the meetup book, mm-hmm. whenever that comes out, yeah, you'll have access to buy it. Um, the other thing is that if you guys want to learn a little bit about how to raise money mm-hmm. for these deals, I have a free course, 100% free. There's four videos talking about all the small details that you need mm-hmm. to be able to get involved in multifamily better. So if you want, you can text uh, raising money, raising money, Two five 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 eight eight eight, and that will get put you right into the course, and it's free. Uh, it's just nice. something I give away. 
Thanks. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate that. Audience, you hopefully got that. Definitely reach out to him. I mean, this guy went from poor to, I mean, living great with multi-families everywhere. Adam, thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, you know, bless to 10,000 units. I can't wait to see you when you get there. Maybe I'll bring you back on the podcast when you bring those 10,000. And uh, you have a great rest of the day. Thank you.